On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dan Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Syme, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. Joined today, I'm Andy Wilson, by co-host Dane Clark. How's it going, Dane? Great, Andy. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. And also Hugh Syme. Great to see you, Hugh. How are you? Yes, I'm, I'm very well. Thank you very much for asking, Andrew. You bet. Today, we are joined on the Music Buzz podcast by American guitar slinger with the Georgia Satellites, Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hounds, the Western Sizzlers, Desperate Angels, and the Hellhounds, the one and only Rick Richards. Sounds like I can't keep a job there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, the next part of my intro line is Rick is unique. So perfect, perfect, uh, perfect segue there, Rick. Um, there is no other. If you're looking for that raw rock, edgy sound of the Georgia Satellites, this is the guy at the root of it. Founded in 1985, the Georgia Satellites shot into the upper reaches of the pop charts with their number two hit, Keep Your Hands to Yourself, and went almost overnight, seemingly, from being a struggling bar band to a national touring act, opening for such bands as Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, REO Speedwagon, and many more. In addition to Keep Your Hands to Yourself, the Satellites enjoyed Billboard success behind other songs, such as Battleship Chains, Hippie Hippie Shake, and others. Richards also co-wrote and played lead guitar on dozens of records with former Guns N' Roses guitarist Izzy Stradlin. We'll get into that a little bit as well. Rick has continued to tour with the Georgia Satellites and WOW audiences and guitar lovers across the globe for many, many years and is a Southern rock icon from Georgia. Welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, Rick Richards. Thanks, man. Thanks, Andy. Hi, Rick. We're so glad you're here today, man. Thanks, Dan. I uh, just got to say, a real rock and roll guitar player. Thank you. you know, as opposed to as opposed to those electric electronic ones. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, a guy that just plays roots raw rock with feel. You know, from listening to the, your first, you know, the first Georgia Satellites record when that came out, it was like, okay, we're listening to the like a modern faces here again. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, man, no frills, rock and roll. I mean, it was like it blasted through, and obviously, it was a huge hit. Um, so. What I was wondering was how you originally got interested in music and your first band that you played in. I mean, how did, how did you go from 
digging music to start playing it to up to your first band? Yep. Um, well, it's the same old hack. story about the Beatles, excellent thing. You know, I was like 10 or 11, I think, something like that. I saw that, and of course, it struck a chord like millions of other kids like myself. So I just tried to emulate sure. their stuff and the stones, and it just kept growing and growing. I just kept becoming more and more of a fan, especially the British stuff. And uh, so, I, you know, I played around the guitar, little basement bands. My first actual gig was at a talent show in the eighth, uh, eighth or ninth grade. And um, man, it was a great band. We just kids but we were doing jethro tull songs you know shit like that <laughs> it's ridiculous wow and so there was this kid on on so he was probably on the spectrum at the, who knew at that time though you know uh and he did these, right. um these impersonations through a microphone of like you know a sonar on a submarine or a plane crashing or a, a car going by you know shit like that like the uh i can't remember the cat's name but the, the guy that does that and so anyway, we won and we gave up our trophy to that kid. <laughs> wow. It was cool, man. It, was, it made us feel good. Cause he could, the kid got picked on constantly, man. And then we were laughing at him and shit. So that's a real thing. That was cool of you guys. That was also kind of like how, you know, there's a little bit of power you wield when you're on stage, you know, or, or when you get any kind of accolades, you have a little, you can wield some power to do either, you know, bad or good or just, indifference so yeah very true and then you know i had the uh, bar bands you know many bar bands oh god so many bar bands and i just <laughs> kind of took it from there man it just i just you know uh, kept going as far as i could go you know playing every night and uh, hoping something would happen eventually it did it's a crap shooting on Sure, like for anybody else, but sure. those uh, long hours spent in those bars uh, and the tenacity to keep going, I mean, obviously paid off. I don't know, man. Uh, you, big time. You'll have to ask my liver about that. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I read someplace where your your main influence is, I think it was guitar player or some guitar player type of a magazine. Um, Chuck Berry, Keith Richards, and Mick Taylor were your three go-tos. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and man, I can hear that. That's for sure. So, you know, if Exile on Main Street was the, that was the first show when I was in seventh grade, I, my dad took me to see the Rolling Stones and it was the 72 tour. Hey, I saw that, tour. I saw that so, tour in Nashville when I was like in high school still. It's great. That was the greatest thing I've ever seen. It was fucking amazing. Was, St was Stevie Wonder the opening yeah, act? Yeah, Stevie Wonder. Was Stevie Wonder. And plays drum. Yeah. Yes, he was incredible. <laughs> he blew my mind. He played congas and drums. Yeah, yeah, oh, man. He was great. And then Billy Preston. The greatest show. Right? Wasn't Billy Preston yeah. on that tour and he did a couple of songs? Well, actually. Maybe not. I, I believe he was. I no, that, that might be sure. another he, he Actually, that might have been the 75. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember who opened in 72. But, uh, but yeah, Stevie Wonder was definitely, uh, he was rocking that night. Yeah, man. So I can, I mean, I can hear that you're playing. Who, were there other guys too that you listened to that you just got, man, I want to try to, oh, definitely. try to cop a little of that sound. Yeah, it was the, you know, the triumvirate of that page to Clapton. And of course, Jimmy, man, that blew my mind. And, uh, oh man, just so many, you know, so many great players back then, you know, so 
I was was influenced by a lot of people. A lot of people. Understandable. In other words, I stole from a lot of people. As we all do. Right? You know? Yeah, you have to. Very much so. It's all been done. You got to find a niche. Uh, No question. Even the Beatles stole. Of course they did. (laughs) Well, the music that that people... They stole uh, money from Ringo. How about yeah. Pete Best? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Yeah, they still Pete Best alive. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, right. More than just cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the anthology album did did right by Pete Best from what I hear. He did Oh yeah? A few million yeah, when when they released all the DECA demos and all the, the pieces that were involving Pete. He got his cut. Several million. Wow. Hmm, good. 50 years later, but hey. Yep. Alan Klein didn't get it. He got a lot of it, though, yeah, in, right. in the early days. Everybody, everybody. Jeez. So, Rick, take us take us through the beginnings of the Georgia satellites. You know, when somebody says, you know, tell us about the early years of the satellites and how things came together. Um, walk us down that road a little bit. Well, we're hanging out, me, Keith Christopher, and uh, I was in drummer David Michelson, and we're hanging out at uh, a bar having some beers and then uh, we're watching Monday Night Football and the thing came on about John getting shot. So we were freaking, man. So we thought, let's let's go back to, we we had a space underneath a barbecue joint that was a rehearsal space for like several bands in the area. It was just one room. So we had to like, you know, be there when no one else was there. So luckily this was, it was open. We went there and just started jamming. And that was the incarnation of what later became the satellites. And then we just started playing bars and clubs and partying around, and we were just out to have a good time. We didn't care about a future, you know. We were young enough. Well, we weren't actually that young, but we were stupid enough to keep doing it. And uh, <laughs> so we didn't know. And, you know, we got, made a few recordings, made some demos, and then uh, our friend Kevin Jennings uh, took some of those tapes over to London. And played them for this company called Making Waves. They were a brand new independent company. Back when indies were like kind of just getting getting going and giving any kind of semblance of respect by major labels. So they signed us and we got put out a little EP. Keep Your Hands to Yourself was on it. Got a little buzz going. I mean, we, I think at the time we said, fuck it, we're breaking up or we're not. Yeah. And then I was in, um, I was in a bookstore browsing and uh the magazines and i picked up uh, melody maker and man they reviewed that record that ep we did and it was they were it was unbelievably good i mean they were comparing us to rock pile you know to mm. the stones wow. and it's like well, shit man wow so we got a little, yeah. what year was that that must have been 87 86 80 i don't know so it's all a bit of a blur. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we just went on, went on with that and got uh, got some interest. Uh, these guys in Nashville wanted to manage us, and uh, our uh, the guy that produced our stuff was trying to get us a deal too. Uh, Jeff Clicksman. Anyway, we ended up signing with uh, Electra and uh, did the record, and man, we. Went out touring our asses off, didn't weren't even looking at Billboard or anything. Next thing we know, the thing's charting, and we had no idea that it would, in any way, 
touch touch such a common nerve out there with people. But I guess it was timing and luck and all that the things that go into like uh, demographics or what makes something popular. It's really really strange. You never know. Right. So it was uh, it was cool, man. I had a great time. From the sublime to the horrific. You know, I got to ask because, you know, obviously with the Georgia Satellites, the song that, that people talk about is is Keep Your Hands to Yourself. But the one song that's always resonated with me, which is your song, is Battleship Chains. That song was uh, uh, written by one of the best songwriters we have. His name's Terry Anderson. He's out of North Carolina. He's written a lot of great songs. And uh, we kind of nicked that from his band. And... Uh, what happened was uh, somebody slipped it into a, uh, you know, pre-production tape, and uh, our A and R guys heard it and they said, "You got to cut this." And Dan goes, "There's no way we're cutting that because he's my friend. We're our friends. We don't want to rip him off." So anyway, we cut it anyway. <laughs> and uh, they were kind of miffed about it. They were kind of miffed until they got that first check. <laughs> right. I was going to say. Yeah, like, hey, buddy, oh, no worries. We got you some know. more for you to listen to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> for your next record. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, Terry Terry went on to write uh, some songs for Dan. He wrote that song, Love You, right. Period. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember that song. Yeah, Terry wrote that, man. Terry's brilliant. You ought to be, uh, li- uh, li- listen to some of his stuff if you ever get a chance. He's in a band called the Olympic Ass-Kicking Team. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. great. Great name. So, you know, with the kind of the overnight success, if you will, that you alluded to, tell us about heading out on the road behind that success. It sounds like you guys were as surprised as anybody else. What was that experience like? Who were you guys out with? It was fantastic, man. Starting to tour with all these great people. Bob Seger, you know, of course, you mentioned some earlier. Um, For Bowie, uh, you know, of course, the Tom Petty tour was magnanimous. Fantastic. Right. So we had a really good run, had some really good times, and uh, then it got to be that thing, you know, a little friction here and there, some unsettlings amongst the ranks, you know how that goes, same old story, man, same old rock and roll band story, it's almost, uh, it's it's well known. Sure. (laughs) You mentioned the David Bowie thing real quick, I gotta stop there before I forget about it, how many dates did you guys open for Bowie? Was that the Glass Spider tour? Glass Spider in, in Canada. I think it was five or six shows. And I remember, uh, I didn't get to meet him. I was so pissed off. But I did meet uh, Peter <laughs> Frampton. Frampton was on there too, right? Yeah. yeah. I met Peter. He was a great cat. We had a bunch of great stories about Marriott. Because, you know, Marriott played with Marriott a bunch. And, and he lived in Atlanta for a while. We hung out quite a bit. Oh, wow. But Peter has some really good stories about the cat, man. You know? I'm sure he did. Nothing but good stuff, by the way. Nothing but good things. Yeah. So back up just for a second, because you're talking about the guy that I think was the greatest rock singer ever, uh, Steve Marriott. I, I remember reading that he lived in Atlanta for a while. Was that in about, I, I saw Humble Pie when they got back together the second time in the early 80s when he wore that great big yellow coat around on stage, I saw him live with, uh, with, uh, with, yeah, with uh, the guitar player. No, that, but Bob Tinch was the guitar player. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Bobby. That's right. I think that's right before he moved to Atlanta. Cause I remember playing here, but I don't think he was living here at that time. Uh, 
Yes, he was. So tell else. me, some, you got you got to got to let us in on some some Atlanta stories with Steve. Oh, uh, okay. Let's see. I was in humble pie for one day. Wow, I remember that? Okay. Yeah, one day. So anyway, it was. Uh, I remember it was Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, we had to rehearse because I said, well, I don't care. And he was living about, I guess, 40 miles south of Atlanta at the time with a friend of his before he lived downtown. So we drove all the way out there, loaded gear, and then, you know, set up in the guy's living room. <laughs> and uh, wait, and no Steve. So we're uh, sitting room. I said, uh, where's Steve? He goes, oh, he's sleeping. So we'll go wake his ass up. And you go wake him up. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks, man. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> so anyway, he comes he comes rumbling over, you know, fresh out of bed, pops a beer, straps on his guitar, and we start doing a couple of songs. So anyway, after that, uh, he goes, yeah, you're in, mate, you're in. I went, fuck yeah. And a week later, he calls me up and says, uh, um, I need to, I need you to do me a big favor. And it was something to do with me lending him an automobile, <laughs> which I said, I can't do it because I got this and that to do. And he goes, all right, mate, fuck you. And, and go back to hedging and play, keep your hands to yourself for the rest of your life. Oh, wow. went, okay, man. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's, and I talked to, you know, that's just, that was a one day of Steve Marriott. Wow. Man. He was like, wow. he was a chameleon. He changed a bit. And he, uh, yeah, yeah, and something else. Wow! But you got to work with him. Yeah, I did, and also we we cut a single together. Really? Uh, at uh, yeah, at uh, Barrymore Barlow yeah. from Death Hotel, right? Yeah. Okay, you had a place on uh, on the river there, not Avon, but I can't remember the name of it. You know, and he had a studio outside I of London. Reading about that. So it was during it was during the. Um, poll tax riots you know so jennings kevin jennings our tour manager and idea man says i gotta grow that jail why don't we put out a single about and call poll tax blues and we'll get you and marriott and a couple other cats and we'll cut it and see what happens so yeah we, we drove out there to barlow's place really nice you know? just so tall made some coin apparently even before you know he, he wasn't in that band that no, long but he was, uh, great. Sure. nonetheless he uh, had a great place. Great drummer, too. So we cut the song, Pole Tax Blues. We got uh, Rob Fletcher to do the cover. The same guy that did uh, some work for the satellites. Okay. And man, it, you know, it got a little bit of attention. It didn't do as quite as well as uh, Jennings had expected it to do. But it was a, kind of like a novelty song at that point. It was just cashing in on the Pole Tax movement, which upset a lot of people. And they were riding in London. So, you know. Uh, it was great being in the studio with him. I did another thing with him in Chattanooga and um, we're doing some demos up there and we're getting ready to leave and um, studio manager goes, uh, Steve, I need you to sign this right here. This is, this is a bill. <laughs> and goes, she looks at it, folds it in half, folds it in a quarter, pulls down his pants and wipes his ass with it and gives it back to the guy and walks out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that song was never heard again. <laughs> he didn't say a fucking word either. You know, I, that'd be interesting to find out what that, that, that was pretty good stuff. Wow, actually. man. That'd be fascinating to hear that. So was, was Barry Moore playing drums on the Poltax Blues song? 
No, no, he oh, okay. wasn't even around. I didn't even get a chance to meet him. Uh, it was the guys that were in the packet of three. Oh, okay. With Marriott's uh, pub band, uh, and I can't. I'm I'm, a, I'm remiss to remember their names right now, but um, yeah, drummer and the other guitarist, no, the bassist, Stephen Allen guitarist, okay. Stephen vocals. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to. I've got to look that up later today. Now I want to hear that. It's got to be on YouTube. Old yeah. text blues. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear that other stuff that the the ass wiping sessions. Wow, <laughs> what a trip, man! <laughs> if you ever do release the ass wipe uh, project, I I want to I want to I, <laughs> I want the cover. Yeah, I want to do the album cover. Yeah, man, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> wow, what a trip! You were saying earlier you have an affinity for album covers, and you miss that that genre or that uh that format yeah we all do um especially designers i mean <clears throat> people often ask you know what was it like to lose the 12 inch square and go to a cd and i thought well at first it was you know it was a, a slightly disgruntling feeling until you realized most of your clients could afford 20 page and 40 page cd booklets so there was no lack of canvas no lack of surface area to play with that's true. Yeah. And yeah. Come to think of it, you're absolutely right. It was, uh, there were, yeah. Although you, you had to have a, you had to have a tel Hubble telescope to read it though. It so well, small. that's it. And anybody over 40, you know, forget it, you know, but you know, that uh, I, I basically kind of, uh, most, most of my clients did vinyl anyway. So I still, I still designed for the big square. Well, well, with a bit of, a bit of a nod to the fact that it had to survive at four and three quarter inches square. So you, you couldn't indulge, to the detail level that you could on a 12 inch square. Um, Absolutely. Quite as much, but um, I, I, n I noticed in sort of reviewing your covers that for someone as visual as you, you seem to be, I was saying to Andy earlier, that it, it had sort of a, some of your covers are very personality, you know, band on the cover um, and not quite so indulgent on the conceptual front, which, which, which made me think of kind of a transition between, you know, punk and, and, uh, and, uh, Atlanta music, you know, uh, it was more like you were sort of disre you know, almost disregarding the art side of it. Good photos. Um, very much kind of in keeping with. Oh yeah, man. That's one of my, yeah, that's one of my big regrets are both those. Well, the first cover was mine. The second cover uh, was so similar to the first that it was, you could hardly discern between the two. I mean, the average person probably didn't. And I'm not saying that's why I didn't sell, but the third record. What, what years were those? Uh, 88, I don't remember. 80 something, 87, between 87 and 88 or 86. You're still playing to the residual audience that embraced every, everybody from the police to Clash and so on. So, you know, I don't think it was lost them that you were just a band on a cover playing music you know i i look back at the kinks and they were on covers you know and they were all about the music and they were just you know they were not all caught up in conceptual yeah well this yeah that second second cover was not good however the third album i had a big hand in designing a cover for i mean i chose all those graphics that are on it i actually stole mm -hmm. the font i stole the font from uh I think Wes Wilson, who's a Fillmore artist back in the day. Oh, yeah. So I was a huge fan of that era of rock and roll art, the Fillmore Avalon poster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. I saw my favorite covers 
come from that era. Like, for, for instance, uh, you know, like Grateful Dead, Oxo Moxo, Rick Griffin, and the other Rick Griffin. Yeah. Yeah, the Quicksilver Messenger Service first album cover great was. great record cover. Blues for Allah was one of my favorites. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so if, 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 you were, if you were someone that, you know, if you were a client and, and an art director said, so for me to get inside your head, what are your top five favorite album covers? That's always my best way of kind of harvesting a person's taste. Where would you go with that question? Wow. Well, I have to say my, one of the classic, which we've I've spoken of before, just simplicity would be meet the Beatles. Oh yeah. Fabulous. I mean, that iconic shaded photo of all four is just spoke volume. Yep. And then, of course, you know, all the Griffin stuff, all the covers he did, I like the Quicksilver cover because of that incredibly off the wall font that he made up, you know, those letters. And, and then, uh, I don't know, let's see. Um, there's a band called Flaming Groovies. Yep. Cool band. Who put out and, uh, their first album had, uh, Artwork by a guy named Bob Zoll, Z Z O E L L, and it's just this whimsical car. It's like '30s cartoon characters, but it's got a psychedelic bent to it. It's very eye catching. I loved it. Like the Keep on Trucking cartoons? No, not not, not like Crumb. No, it's more uh, animated type '30s uh, okay. cartoon characters. You know the way they looked with the, the big eyes and the. Yeah, that's kind of like that. The Mickey Mouse looking stuff. Yeah. Yep. But so yeah, that's one of my favorite covers. Um what a cool band they were too, man. Talk about a roots rock band. Oh man. They're great. I love that band. Teenage Head. Yeah. Uh, Teenage Head's a great record. Yeah, it's a great record. Yeah, I got the pleasure of hanging out with Cyril Jordan a few times, man. Really? And uh I met Roy Loney in Barcelona. So I got I got to talk to him about the band and how like they were, they were coming from the exact same place that I was coming from. A kinship, uh, birds of a feather kind of thing. So it's really cool. I think Cyril's still, I think that he still has a, I think they're still out playing. Yeah, yeah. I saw him like, uh, when was it? Three years ago? Two years ago, maybe? That's awesome. I don't know. I yeah. hope they played Slow Death. That's my favorite one. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think they did. <laughs> you know, I, I also kind of, at the time, I know you're going to hate me for this probably, but at the time, I really dug some of the Roger Dean stuff. Oh no, I think he's fabulous. He he, bands adopt a look. Um, you know, uh, Phil Travers and the Moody Blues had a look, and I think Yes was well served by by Roger's work. Um, I, I would I would yeah I would say the style was so palpable and so kind of reliably his each time that would maybe be my only concern is that for a progressive band i often thought that even though the content of what he did progressed i sometimes felt like his um his style was too consistent you know what i'm saying yeah yeah he was going embedded in some sort of theme with yes but you know they came so congruous together you know you, you thought of one you thought of the other which is like an art director's dream, as I'm sure you know. I'm sure you probably have the relationship with your artists that you do take the time to get in there and find out what they're all about and find out their vision. If they don't have one, get one for them, you know? You uh, always had a tremendous amount of respect for any kind of any kind of graphic artwork to me is always... That would have been my... Uh, 
I would love to have been involved somehow in my life to be a graphic artist. Classic questions. If you weren't a, a guitar player and a songwriter, what would you do? You just answered that question, you know. You, you bring yeah. up a good point, though, Rick, and, and uh, you know, talking about Roger with, with the Yes artwork, but it's the same. Honestly, Hugh, you know, it's like as a Rush fan and anybody that knows Rush, it's hard to imagine Rush without your visuals attached to that band, you know, for all of those years. Absolutely. And, right? Absolutely. I appreciate that um, observation, but I, I would also make the argument that with Rush, who also moved around musically quite a bit, they you know, they embodied this thing called progressive and sure. they allowed me to indulge, you know, to the point where I could really change things up from cover to cover um, and forsake that same or that reliable recognizability that you might get from a Roger Dean sure. on a yes cover. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. exactly. So that, that allowed me to completely, I mean, I, that was one of the fun things about being with Rush is you could just completely, you know, turn a blind eye to the expected, you know. Where are you from? I'm from uh, Canada. I thought I detected an accident. Yeah, I went to school in the northeast of England, so my alma mater was uh, Nigel Olson. He went to my school. Uh, Nigel used to live here in Atlanta as well. Really? Uh, yeah, you're right. But yeah. Dave Stewart was walking around my, the halls of my school, and um, uh, Rowan Atkins. Wow. Was <laughs> nice. <laughs> Wow. Oh man, what an yeah. eclectic class! Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, no, it was it was a great time, and it was you know, it was, and I, it wasn't lost on me that you know, people like Sting and and Eric Burden and and Mark Knopfler and all that—they're all Geordies from the northeast of England—and um, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of exciting to look back and realize that you know my interest. You know, I I went from Ed Sullivan, the Ed Sullivan Beatles show to living in England in 1964, late 64 Damn. through 69. The adult dope. Yeah, I watched that that in, that British invasion from the other side, which was really fascinating. Uh, yeah. How fortunate. Okay, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. And I got, my music teacher gave me the key to the, we, we had a pipe organ in the, in the chapel in this school. It was very Harry Potter, to be honest with you. And I would get to go in at lunchtime and play White or Shade of Pale full volume. Um, that that was fun. Wow, man! Yeah, why did you have a pill in the pie board? And what's perfect? Yeah. Right? So, Rick, uh, switching gears from the satellites a little bit and going into you know, honestly, I might be a bigger fan of, of all the work that you've done over the years with Izzy Stradlin um, from Guns and Roses fame. To me, he was always kind of like the Ronnie Wood of of Guns and Roses. You know, he was a uh, uh, just awesome singer, great songwriter. Tell us a little bit about how that relationship started. You know, you guys made a lot of music together um, and kind of walk us down that path a little bit. Yeah, I met Izzy with GNR. Um, they were in Atlanta, they were on tour. And uh, when he left, uh, we, were, we were on our last cast to the satellites, but we were still touring. And I think we played at the... Uh, uh, coach house, uh, San Juan Capistrano. And he showed up, man. We just started talking and talking. And had a lot in common. And, uh, he said he was going to do something. He didn't mention getting me in the band, but nonetheless, I said, good luck. Next thing I know, I'll get a call, you know? So went out and did the, uh, did the first record 
during the uh, L.A. riot. Mm. Oh, wow. Sure. kind of weird. That was the Juju Hounds record, right? Okay. Great yeah. record, by the way. Actually, Stan Lynch, Stan Lynch played on a couple of songs. I don't think they made the record. I think we recut them anyway. But it was, it was great work with Stan Lynch. He's a man, great guy. Great drummer. Yeah, no question. And so he's going, he's on the phone between takes. And he's going, talking to his wife to see how close the riots were getting to his house. And he goes, man, when the, uh, when the riot get, gets past like Pico Boulevard, I got to go. <laughs> so we go, okay. <laughs> so we're, we're doing another, another tune. And we're, he's on the phone. He goes, man, I got to go. My wife's like freaking out. So he goes, why don't you stay here, man? You're safe. And I don't know about that. He goes, and then he reaches under the console and pulls out a paper bag full of guns. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Like <laughs> nine millimeters, 38, you know, several guns. He goes, well, we, we got enough guns here for everybody. <laughs> In a paper bag, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, like <laughs> handing out candy or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah here you go. Yeah. So it was like a. Hey, I'm, I'm, I think I'm in the right place here. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a great fun, man. We're, I'm really proud of that record. It was great fun making That is it. such a good record. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that band, um, funnily enough, I mean, Ian McLagan played in, as part of that band, right? And Nicky Hopkins and Ron right. Wood. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. What a, what a great album that is. Fantastic album. Yeah, to be on an album with those guys, are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah, that's awesome. Get to know better than that. I didn't get to hang with Woody, though. Uh, but I got a quick story if you want to hear it. Well, yeah. Why we're here. That's right. Okay, so... Uh, Doesn't have to be quick, either. They're getting ready. To, <laughs> they're doing the, uh, uh, the song, uh, Take a Look at the Guy, which is one of Ron's songs. And they want Woody to play on it. So he said, yeah, man, he's in L.A. He said, just come by and pick me up, man. And we'll go to the studio. So they get to Woody's house, and Spartacus, the movie, had just started. And he goes, oh, fucking Spartacus. We got to watch this, boys. <laughs> They're going, wait a minute. We know. We got to go to the studio, man. And he wouldn't leave until Spartacus was over. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> and, you know, it's like a two and a half hour movie, man. Maybe three. Oh, man. <laughs> and then sitting here. And he, like, he's going, he was drinking and cracking everybody up. You know, he goes, oh, Spartacus. Oh, Spartacus. <laughs> Just insane. I'm sorry I missed that one, man. And then I also miss, I miss working with Nicky Hopkins, who I'm such a fan of. Yeah, uh, he's and, a great uh, player. They told me that he uh, walked into a glass door face first. And then I said, God damn, that's my kind of guy. I do that all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's awesome. I walked through a screen door once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, happens, yeah. man happens now ian mcclagan i worked I, I booked him several times i first met him down in austin texas when he used to play that um maybe not antones maybe it was antones but he was like the house band it was like a wednesday night thing or something yeah i can't remember the, name of the club it wasn't Anton. yeah it was near anton yeah anyway man he was such a great guy i mean working with him just brilliant got to meet ronnie lane mm -hmm. you know oh wow got to have a bunch of bunch of guinnesses with with good old Mac. What a great soul that guy Oh, was. yeah, man. He, and hilarious. Totally hilarious. Yep. 
I actually, I booked some shows with him in the Midwest after that. Cause I met him down there and I'm like, man, we got to get you up to the Midwest. And I hung out with him and uh, I forget the guy that was always with them. Uh, really good dude. John Noter Thomas or something like that. But anyway, John, yeah, good, great John, guy. Yeah. But uh, he played up here and he, um, well, actually, funnily enough so he played up here with a band from indianapolis that i managed called the east hills and then rick you you <laughs> oh yeah i just i worked yeah yeah guys. and then you ended up right didn't we work, didn't we work yeah yeah you yeah. ended up um playing on one of their songs um that's yeah, right without that's me right. Well, cool but ian was supposed to play on their record as well and unfortunately during that time he is when he passed um, and then yeah. Doty from um, Ario uh, ended up playing that keyboards on that song on the song that Ian was supposed to. Play. Wow! But uh, that yeah. song you played on for them is a oh, great, great song, and that solo you did on that was very beatly, uh, very beatly solo. Really cool song. Killer, yeah, good stuff. A little bit more on the uh, on the live front. So, what was your first attended concert that you went to, or maybe a couple of them as a fan? Uh, Jimi Hendrix. Mm. Uh, Savoy Brown. Oh, oh, this is the bill. Jimi Hendrix, Soft Machine, Savoy Brown, the Amboy Dukes. Mm. Wow. Where was that at? The Coliseum in Atlanta, Atlanta Coliseum, um, 1968. Wow. What a diverse lineup. Nope. Soft yeah. Machine with yeah, those right? guys. Wow. Was that about Hellbound Train era for Savoy Brown, probably? Could be. There was also an opening act called Ir Apparent. I've heard of that. They were an Irish band, four-piece Irish group. Yeah. Pretty like, uh, I think Hendrix produced their record, so he took them out. And they were kind of like, uh, I don't know, Bro Brummel sounding kind of, you know, almost. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, they were good. I remember hearing the name, uh, but I, I never heard their music. Yeah, it was something else. Tore my mind up. <laughs> I reckon so, man. So you mentioned some of the big acts that you guys toured with in the satellites days. You know, what are some shows that you've been a part of or some or played on that you're kind of like, we always like to ask this question. You're kind of looking around the stage like, I can't believe I'm here, you know, right now. I mean, tell us about a few of those moments in your career. The first one would be the first time we went to Japan. We'd never been out, uh, toured out of the country and we were huge over there. Like everybody, but a new, you know. <laughs> so being and being on stage and being treated the way they treat you over there, it was it was like, oh, so this is how it is. So this is how it's going to be. <laughs> oh yeah, of course that didn't last. But <laughs> uh, there was that one, and uh, Madison, Madison Square Garden with Figure was pretty uh pretty cool too. I always thought that that ven I hold that venue in such high esteem. Because of its history and all the great shows, New York City shows. And then the other one would be, uh, well, it's hard to say. I don't know. Fair enough. Did you ever get into a situation where sometimes there's an amalgamation, of, uh, whether it's an event or a celebration or honoring someone, were you ever on stage with other people that you you would look to your left and go, oh, my God, that's Prince or that's that's Eric Clapton. Did you ever get on stage with some people that you would really admired and ha had a, a rare occasion to play with? Uh Roger McGuinn. Oh yeah. Oh awesome. Yeah. When we were out with Petty. I got up on stage with him and did uh Ballad Easy Rider. Oh, that's one of my favorite Great songs. Song. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful song. 
And he with Tom Trader vocals. Oh really? man, I'd love to have heard that. Dang. Yeah. Was that recorded? Awesome. Uh oh shit, I don't know. That's probably on YouTube. Well, it probably isn't though. Somebody's got it. Somebody somewhere. But that one I'd sticks out to me because I was such a huge birds fan. Oh my You and God. me both. Yeah. God, I love the birds. So that was something Seven else. Seven or eight of the greatest albums ever recorded right there, right in a row. Starting with their I'm first with one. You. I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> you know, yeah. no question. Yeah. Great stuff. So, Rick, you know, obviously we talk about satellites, talk about Izzy Stradlin stuff, but there's also several other bands you played with. Um, what do you what do you have coming up? Um, you know, are you gonna do anything else with Charlie Starr? Uh, from Blackberry Smoke or any of these guys, Kevin Kenny from Driving and Crying, are you going to do anything else with them? Or what, what do you got on the docket, I guess, coming up? You're, you always seem to be doing something new. Well, I did a session, I don't know, a month ago. That's about all I've had. So now I'm just waiting, waiting for it. Get a little window of opportunity to plot out a course. Are you writing? I'm about a bit of a block right now. It's too much, too much going on. Um, also, man, I want to say some, something about uh, when the original Outlaws country western music died. Uh, Billy Joe Shaver, mm. huge fan. Um, played with him a couple of times. Knew his son quite well. He was with the Outlaws. Uh, he contributed those songs that Waylon did. Right. And he, used to stalk, he used to stalk Waylon with his songs, right? <laughs> and Waylon just said, ah, get out of here, man, come on. So finally, one day he said, oh, "God damn it, I wrote this song for you," and I think it was Honky Tonk Heroes. And he goes, "And you're going to record it too, or I'm going to whip your ass right here in this pool hall in front of God and everybody." And that's the way he was, man. He was great. Wow. You know, he shot that guy, guy, and he shot a guy. Apparently, on the steps of the courthouse, he goes, "Would you like to say anything to the victim's family or?" He goes, yeah, well, here's, he's going to recover and everything. And I hope I get a chance to meet him someday because I want to get my bullet back. Oh, my God. Holy crap. <laughs> that was one of my best bullets. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Rick, for your time. We certainly appreciate it. Oh, man, it's such a pleasure. Yeah, man. Um, it's such a pleasure to talk to you guys. Uh, I'm telling you, I really appreciate it. I had a great yeah. time. Well, we appreciate it, too. And. Wish you nothing but the best uh, right, heading man. into 2021, and uh, thanks for your time, and um, we appreciate you joining us. All right, us. thanks, boys. You'll be safe. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're going to end this episode with a great song by the East Hills featuring Rick Richards on guitar. It's called Here Without Me from their Fear and Temptation album, uh, recorded a few years ago. So uh, thanks for joining us again, Rick, today um, on the Music Buzz podcast. And we'll see you all next time.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.